This is episode number 24 of the Founder Podcast with Andy Sheets. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I am your host. Not sure if you can hear, but we've got uh, kookaburras in my backyard, an Australian animal just shouting out crazy. So I don't know if this is going to get picked up in the recording. Anyways, I hope you're having a great day today. Really excited to bring you today's guest. And his name is Andy Sheets. He's the founder of health.com.au, which is a local startup in Australia. And it's actually one of the fastest growing companies in Australia right now. They've got a run rate of 100 million. In 18 months, they've achieved this. They've attained 80,000 customers. And it's just exceptional growth. So if you want to learn anything around how to run an extremely successful startup with a rapid growth rate, what marketing lessons you need to grow that quickly, how to find something that people just want, and how to scale extremely fast, Andy shares with us a ton of gold. One thing that Andy shared with me, which was one of my favorite things, is around what it takes for, in his mind to build something that people want. I think you're going to really like his analogy on what you have to do to create something that people want. So that's it from me. I hope you're having a great day and thank you for taking the time to share your earbuds with me. If you are enjoying these episodes, please make sure you leave us a review on Stitcher or iTunes or tell your friends. If you think any of your friends will get a ton of value from this podcast or would like the magazine, feel free to share it with them. And please do check out Founder Magazine. It's where I spend most of my time. Also, if you do want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at nathan at foundermag.com. I'd love to hear from you. I'm here to help however I can. So let's jump into the show. 
So today I'm speaking with Andy Sheets. He's the founder of health.com.au. And this is a startup out of Australia, and they are a very fast-growing company. They've achieved $85 million in revenue in 18 months. Is that correct? Actually, we're at a $100 million run rate now. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah, that, that's a great introduction because, yeah, I just want to I just want to first ask you, how did you get your job? How did this all start? Like, what, as as an entrepreneur, like, how, how are you doing what you're doing today? How did you find you doing this work? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I worked so I've worked in primarily online businesses for most of my career. I'm probably older than most startup founders. I guess I'm turning fifty this year, but I've been working, you know, in tech and online probably since I was about 25. And I've started in San Francisco where I worked for a big software company and then a number of small startups. And since I've been in Australia, I've been here for about 14 years. And I've spent most of my time here working at realestate.com.au, which for people who are not in Australia, it's probably one of the top, I don't know, five websites in Australia now. Hmm. So about third of the population of Australia goes to the website every month. It's a really big thing here. Wow. Yeah, it's huge. You know, so it gets a lot of consumer traffic and it's also a really super successful online business. I mean, it would be doing, I don't know, 250, 300 million dollars in revenue now. And it's probably market cap around five or six billion. But when I went there, it was just a pretty small business. And you know, spent a lot of time, I think, you know, we had a really great CEO and team, and I learned a lot from them. It was the first consumer internet business I'd done. Sorry, when when was this exactly? I would have been there in about 2005. Okay. And yeah, I mean, I hadn't done consumer internet before, but I learned so much from them about how do you actually take something that, you know, someone has an interest in and turn it into an obsession you know, and then ultimately make it into a business that you're actually not charging the visitor for. So, I mean, I think that's the magic of consumer internet. Anyway, when I, I was leaving there, I suppose about three years ago, mm-hmm. and just trying to figure out where to next. And I went to the other consumer internet businesses, and I was really, I don't know, I never really wanted to be a founder of a business, to be honest. I was kind of just thinking I'd get another straight job, kind of like REA was. And but the more I looked at it, the more I realized that the most interesting job I was going to get was going to be the one I was going to create. Because as I looked at what was out there, I just wasn't that excited about any of it. And and then, you know, came upon the idea of starting a health insurance business, which is probably one of the most old school state industries, but to overlay an online, you know, more contemporary customer experience onto this really old school somewhat boring state industry, it seemed a real challenge. And laying on top of that, that there was actually a really viable business opportunity to sell a whole lot of insurance and make it, you know, make it actually count, make it viable. It just seemed like, yeah, the most interesting job I was going to get was going to be the one I was going to create. And that's kind of how I got into it. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't that I wanted to start a business. I wasn't, I kind of had the, you know, startup fever out of my system, but you know, I thought it was just a great opportunity to build a good personal experience starting, you know, I wasn't going to get a CEO job. No one was going to hire me to do one. But if I started the business, they couldn't say no. So there, <laughs> there you go. That's sort of how it happened. Interesting. And 
I'm curious, why why do you say that uh, no one would hire you as a CEO? Like, uh, what were your previous roles? Like, some of the startups that you have done, were you a founder of, of any of those other startups? Most of the companies that are hiring CEOs, I find Australia is really risk-averse. You know, in established online businesses, once they get going, they tend to make pretty low-risk hires. You know, so you'll see people moving from offline businesses to run online businesses, you know, a lot of, if you look back over the last couple of years of, of hires into kind of CEOs of, you know, the more established consumer internet businesses, many of them are, are people who have never been in really that involved online. They're kind of low risk hires. I find the Australian kind of online culture to be, or business culture to be pretty conservative. Mm. And I guess, you know, the natural hire for a CEO job was someone who's been a CEO. But, you know, it's pretty hard to break through that. So I just found it a bit tough going, even though, you know, I had run most of the functional areas of the businesses, whether it's, you know, product or sales or whatever. But it's kind of hard to break through. Yeah, like I said, if we start the business, then no one can say no, I guess. <laughs> and, I see. Uh, it just turned into a really good opportunity personally and, and a great business as well. I mean, you know, I mean, the success of, of all of us that are in the business is it's ultimately based on the success of the business. But, you know, you've got to have the ability to, to create that opportunity for yourself. And, and that's kind of really, I guess, what was the basis of this. Very long-winded answer. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I'm just trying to delve deep and, and find out your background because to start a company like health health.com.au and sell health insurance and, and to achieve the growth that you're achieving, how... Like what well, I'm really trying to understand how many businesses have you created and and what have you brought to the table that has just made this thing just go crazy? I think the magic of this business is actually not me, the magic in any way. The magic of the business is really it was a it's a good opportunity. The reason why the business has been successful, traditional health insurance in Australia is really a massive industry. So there's about half of Australians are covered by private health insurance. So it's almost $20 billion industry in Australia. And there's about 35 health insurers. So it's super fragmented. And they're all, for the most part, really old-fashioned. So they have you know, retail shop fronts. They're, most of them are aligned around union memberships or regional areas. And the thing that's happened in health insurance that's really changed over the last couple of years is the emergence of these, you know, um, comparison and, and aggregator sort of businesses like iSelect. You know, mm. you know, you go to iSelect and what they do is they, as a consumer, they ask you, they, they sort of elicit what are your needs. Mm. And they look across all the products they have and they say, oh, this is the best product against the needs you've got. And so they don't really care about brand. Brand is secondary. It's actually the product. And that opened up a really interesting opportunity because, you know, as a new company, you don't really have a brand. And if you're playing in an old, the old world, you know, Medibank, Bupa, those guys were spending 80 million bucks a year or something above the line. And they had these powerful brands that you really couldn't compete with if brand is important. But if you go into a channel, that's a comparison channel, brand isn't important. And so then what matters is your ability to actually really focus the product design on the specific segments of that channel. That was the opportunity. And we thought 
if we went into that, we could actually sell quite a few. And as it turns out, you know, we have been selling kind of on the order of, I don't know, 20, 25,000 policies a year in that way. And, you know, that's really the, if there's magic behind it, it's, it's the opportunity. It's the, it's the business opportunity rather than my background. My background really was just, you know, the, what I added to that was I've done a whole bunch of online strategy and M&A and product design and you could see an opportunity. It's always, you know, when someone talks about a new business, you know, it's like, hey, that's a really nice mousetrap, but how many of those can you sell? You know, it's a great idea, but it's not going to change the world if no one buys it. With this opportunity, I could look at it and go, you know what? There's actually a really big commercial opportunity to sell a lot of insurance and build a proper business. That's why it's worked. And then secondary to that is what does the team bring to make it? different from what's out there? How do we actually deliver on that, you know, online experience that we've promised in the, you know, the brand, it's health.com.au. It kind of implicitly makes a, makes a claim that it's going to be a reasonable online business or business experience or, you know, for customers. So how do we deliver that? And that really came down to just gathering, you know, between myself and, and the other founding group, putting together on one hand, a really competent health insurance team of people who have, you know, deep long-term experience developing products and all of the regulatory frameworks and how do you manage the business and deliver customer experience. So that stuff we've nailed with hiring a really good team who knows how to do it. And then the other part is hiring a good online team to deliver that differentiated online service experience. And I've pulled together, you know, some people that I worked with at realestate.com.au one of the guys who came from SitePoint 99designs is our head of marketing and a couple of development people who've worked in those places. And, you know, and just pulling together sort of the right set of people that could actually then deliver, you know, health.com.au as an insurance business. So, yeah, my, I mean, my background for what it's worth is I did engineering at school. It's kind of an unusual brand of engineering called industrial engineering. This was back in the 80s. What we were really learning was lean, lean manufacturing. And so my first jobs were actually in lean manufacturing. And that really contributed because when I was at realestate.com.au, we started using Agile really primarily in the web development group. And I didn't even know what Agile was, but I, I saw it. And I'm like, whoa, that, it just made such sense to me. And you know, I could see the team, the culture of the team changing the nature of the work they do changing, the deliverables and quality, just everything was so much better. And it wasn't until sometime later that it was explained to me, you know, like a friend of mine who really understood it, he said, I know why you like this, because you liked lean back in manufacturing and agile is just an adaptation of lean. It's the same lean concepts applied to software development. And so one of the things we did as we came to this business, we started using agile and essentially lean from day one. And so in, in terms of building out the business, the product structures, all of the systems, we really aimed at how do you actually make sure that you're focusing on those particular attributes that add customer value. I mean, that's really in essence, that's what lean comes down to. Mm. And agile really is with that. So back to engineering, then after, after working as an engineer, worked in management consulting, doing a lot of lean work actually for the first four or five years and then worked in a big software company in the well it wasn't so big then but it was called Sybase 
it had just IPO'd. I worked there for eight years, I think. I was the head of, well, I was like head of strategy for a while, and I ran a lot of M&A type projects, and then I was the um, operations director for, for the business for about five, four or five years. And that was like, you know, hardcore operational work. How do you actually put in place, you know, sales and service procedures to actually deliver, you know, to deliver a business? I mean, that was like probably a billion dollar revenue business. It was a big, bigger business then. That was back when a billion dollars was a lot of money. <laughs> and then and then, uh, I left there to join some friends of mine from Sybase who had started another startup company called Portera. And along the way, I actually was involved in quite a few startups, not really quitting my job and doing them, but I was involved in one that was doing like um, an HR marketplace, another one which did sort of an online grocery experience. And actually that business ultimately kind of over time became Webvan, which was quite a big startup in the US. I wasn't involved with it at that point, but just at the early stage. And then Portera, which was a, one of the first software as a service businesses. It was pretty much software as a service in 1998 was Jeez. us and Salesforce. Yeah, it was us and Salesforce. And Salesforce had a really great strategy because what they did was, you know, they obviously, their CRM, and I got involved because I was actually doing a lot of CRM work um, in our business. So Salesforce was CRM. This business was kind of CRM, but it was more kind of practice management for consulting firms. And it was delivered in the same way that Salesforce was at the time. The big lesson out of that was Salesforce served the broad market of all businesses. Ours served a more specialized market, which was consulting firms who tended to do internet work. The lesson was actually, if that market segment goes away, your business goes away, <laughs> which is what happened because, you know, we actually had that business up to about 40 million run rate and it was, it was going pretty well, about a hundred people. I mean, I wasn't a founder. I was actually one of the later joiners, but it was going really well. But then in 2002, I suppose the sort of dot bomb, I guess, when a lot of the businesses went, a lot of online businesses went broke. And then soon behind them, a lot of them in, in the Valley and in the U.S. were using these consulting firms to do a lot of the development because they just couldn't get enough staff. And then those guys went broke, and then we went broke. <laughs> so picking a good, broad market was a really, I mean, was a big lesson for me. And that's where, you know, health insurance, I think it's, it's very broad. I mean, it's half of Australians. It's quite a, big, quite a big market. So that was quite a big lesson for me. But in, you know, in that business, it was really how do you deliver kind of an online working experience and then came to Australia or I was in Australia actually for a while with them. And then um, I went back actually and did an MBA here at Melbourne Business School, oh, yes. kind of filling in the blanks of, you know, different experience that I, you know, the white space between the areas that I had worked in and, and understood, which was actually useful for me because I was probably about 40 when I did that. And it was quite a great way of pulling together various experiences. I went back and worked at, in consulting again for a very short time at Booz Allen for probably a year and a half. Didn't really enjoy it that much. And then was at realestate.com.au after that. And, you know, was there for, like I said, six or seven years. And, you know, that was, a, that was probably one of my all-time great experiences because it gave me the ability to work in pretty much every part of the, of the business. And as it grew, the opportunity grew. And yeah, it was just a, it was a really fulfilling place to be. Well, so look, there's a lot I'd like to unpack. And 
And the first thing is, just from my observations, it sounds like, you know, you've you've been involved in startups for a very, very long time. So, you know, it's only kind of been a natural progression that you've gone off to start your own thing, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, when I came to Australia, and I, I actually came over here with Portera, because we had acquired a business here in Australia, and we wanted to roll out Asia. And so I came over to get that going. Mm. And when the business in the US went broke, and closed, I mean, that was, you know, look, I mean, in American startups, that's just, uh, you know, you've earned a stripe. I mean, you know, if you make good decisions and fail, and you try hard, and, you know, that's okay. In Australia, it's not a great thing. I, I actually had a hard time figuring out what to do next. And I absolutely did not want to join any startup, which is kind of probably the reason why I went to Booz Allen is anything.com.au. I just didn't, I didn't want to do .com and .au is just narrowing it even further. And when, you know, when I met the guys from realestate.com.au, I actually told them, I said, there's no way I'm going to join your company. You know, I just, you know, I was picturing it as, you know, two guys and a dog in a shed. And I just, there was no way I was going to start another, go in with another online startup. And, you know, I kind of got sucked into it the same way that I did with health insurance is you just, you know, I go and meet, spend time with them and they're really interesting. They're really on top of it. They're great people. It's a really compelling idea. In that case, it was already pretty well developed. I mean, there were probably, I don't know, 80 staff or something at that point, you know, and before I know it, I'm working there and I'm in another dot-com business, <laughs> you know, uh, and then when I left there, I wasn't going to go start a business. I was just like, no, I'm done with that. It's too hard. And, you know, I went and talked to all the online businesses and that I ended up back, you know, doing it again. So I suppose it gets in your blood a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. Like also um, one thing that shouts out at me is uh, one of my favorite books by a fellow named Robert Green, who's actually, you now I've interviewed him for the magazine. He wrote a book called Mastery and he talks about... Mm-hmm. To obtain mastery, you generally need to do whatever that is, like whatever thing you're trying to master or whatever craft, at least 10,000 hours. You need to spend at least 10,000 hours on it. And, and it sounds like you've done your 10,000 hours. Is that is that safe to say? I reckon I probably have done about 10 billion hours. But <laughs> the other part that the book doesn't say, though, is that you keep getting, you keep coming back to what you, they don't actually treat like, the, you know, they, the book they talk about, like Mozart, and I don't know whether he was addicted to piano. I'm not sure if I'm addicted to startups, but you can't, you know, even though you kind of get better at it and you keep coming back and doing it as well. So you read the book, hey? Uh, I know the book. I haven't read the whole book, but I, I remember reading quite a few reviews of it when it came out. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Well, look, um, let's switch gears and talk about customers, like, how did you guys go about finding your first 1,000 customers? And what, what can the audience learn from your skills in customer acquisition in the early days? In the period before we even had customers, you know, when we were getting started, there's a bunch of different attributes of the business that you've got to kind of nail down, you know, and you find yourself walking in this circle of, you know, well, what do we stand for? What are our products look like who are we trying to serve how are we going to be different you know and then back to well what do we stand for <laughs> you know and you kind of keep going around in circles and it's very hard you know you kind of I, I found that there's no way to solve that you know it's like an equation that is too many variables and you got to nail down something and for us 
the business had it. We just had a different. We had a, a kind of a working name of NIA, which is still the the parent company's name, but it was just kind of a working name. Mm. And for us, the key point was when we acquired the health.com today URL, you know, one of the things that I learned at real estate was the importance of having a really clear functional URL, you know, the URL that describes what you do, because on one hand, you can go out and name yourself something bizarre and then, you know, Amazon, (laughs) you know, and then build meaning around it. Mm. Or, you know, if you've got the money and the time, you can do that. Or alternatively, you can be biggestbookshop.com, you know, or whatever, right? You can pick something quite functional. And in the absence of other competitors, you can actually make that meaningful. So anyway, health.com.au was there in front of us and we got it. And all of a sudden, everything fell into place because, you know, health.com.au what should health.com today you be? Well, it should be aimed at online people. It should have the characteristics of a great online business, meaning it's transparent, it's easy to understand, you know, it's open-ended. And, and so our products should be aimed at this demographic and, you know, and built in a transparent way and really, you know, and everything kind of fell into place once we nailed down one, one variable. And for us, the variable was brand health.com today you. And, and so all of a sudden, all the product development, product design channels, everything fell into place. And, and that really drove our product you know, design philosophy, that and, you know, and building things to fit into uh, comparison engines like iSelect. I think that the first thousand customers, I mean, we sold our first thousand customers in about two weeks because health insurance is very seasonal and it starts in April and goes to June. It's like 40% of the year or more happens between April and June. Mm. And so we were really killing ourselves to be launched by April. And as it turns out, we didn't get out till April 15th, which was two weeks later than we wanted to. But, you know, in no time, you know, we were on iSelect and we sold, yeah, we sold a thousand policies. I I reckon in a couple, two weeks probably, because we finished June with about 4,000. And it was really you know, for us, it was brand product attributes and all the background work that went into developing channels, you know, an offer through a channel that actually would have high uptake and then building out that channel and all the competence to deliver it so that when we opened the door, it literally flooded. Now, that's extremely unusual in a startup. You know, usually, you know, you launch and you soft launch and, you know, on day five, you know, I, I, I heard an analogy interesting recently. Somebody said, oh, it was actually Stephen Dubner who wrote um, Freakonomics. Oh, yes. He, he said, yeah, you know, I wrote a new book and it's always so anticlimactic. You know, when your mother, you know, the first person who calls you about it is your mother. And she usually calls and says, I thought you were going to write a book. And he's like, I did. It's out there, <laughs> you know, and no one's bought it. And she's never heard of it. Right. And that's normal how, you know, how startups work is, you know, you launch them and, and mm. no one knows <laughs> it's like a struggle to get those first thousand customers yeah it's huge i mean there's so many fantastic businesses that have never sold much you know they're great opportunities and great or they're great ideas so for us i, I completely recognize that our experience in this startup was extremely unusual but that's why we did this one is because we thought that there was a really good opportunity to get serious traction and get to scale very quickly 
Mm. So from what I'm hearing, it's it's you're saying that the most successful marketing channel or channel for customer acquisition that you guys have is iSelect, which is an aggregator of these health insurance policies. Yeah, well, I mean, we saw like in the UK, online aggregation and comparison sites are huge for all financial services, actually for almost everything. In Australia, that's not quite as big. Well, it's mm. much smaller. But in health insurance, iSelect is big. There are really effective, and for us, a really effective, very good, cost-effective channel that we can use to get to scale. And so in the first year, they were you know, a huge majority of our sales. And we held back on doing direct marketing and sales probably for about 12 to 18 months. Because for us to start doing lots of, you know, advertising on a business where we didn't have that many customers and, you know, we were going up against big companies that were doing tons of above the line advertising, we just thought we would grow in stealth through comparison channels. And then probably about, you know, 18 months in, we started doing more direct work. We actually put together our first direct sales team only about March of this year. So that was, we were probably two years old when we put, you know, we actually pulled people together and said, okay, now you're the sales group, <laughs> you know, and implemented Salesforce for them, right? You know, and we, until that, it was, you know, the number of direct leads we generated were very limited. It just wasn't our priority because we could get scale through the other channel. And, you know, that was really a, such a good business opportunity. We've built out more since then. I think over time, our direct sales will become, you know, probably 50% of our growth. You know, there was no rush to start that until we actually had customers to reference and a bit more exposure in the market, which that's coming now. You know, that's starting to happen. Hmm. I'm interested. You talked about uh, branding. What do you think it takes to build a solid brand? Geez, I don't know. You'd have to ask somebody who's a bit more <laughs> top of marketing. Um, you know, I mean, you think about the things in Australia, most of the bigger online brands are either extensions of existing businesses or they're classified type businesses, you know, real estate, seat, car sales. And, you know, in Australia, you know, I think that it's been the areas where people were kind of interested in doing, you know, customers were interested in engaging anyway. Look, every brand's going to be different. I suppose it's, you know, it's how do you put meaning around what you do and, and how do people associate with that beyond kind of just their day-to-day -day use of a product and, I mean, for us, you know, the reason why we liked health.com.au is it's very clear. It's health. That's what we want people to think, you know, about, about us. You know, we want to be part of your health. And, you know, ultimately, we want to inspire good health and we want to help keep you healthy when you get sick through the, through the insurance. And I'd say we're probably only, you know, we've probably only really delivered about, I don't know, a quarter of that full brand vision. Because at the moment, it's primarily insurance. But I think, you know, over time, we build out the other attributes of the brand so that people actually think of us as health, you know. And I mean health in a, in a proactive way, not health as in, oh, I'm in the hospital, what do I do next? <laughs> um, you know, but how do we actually inspire people to be healthy, get, you know, get healthy, stay healthy, be healthy? And, and you know, that's, I think, where we're going over time. But yeah, we've only, you know, we're, we're so young. We've delivered on about a quarter of that so far. Hmm. I see. And I'm curious, 
out of like this this whole journey, so you've guys been you guys have been growing for about eighteen months. You've been we've been actually selling for about two and a half years now. Okay, so two we started in April of twelve um, okay. selling, and then we've been yeah, so that's about two and a half years. Okay, and uh, has there been any struggles, failures? What what have been the hard parts? Oh yeah, it's all long. It's you know. There's nothing harder than starting another business, I think. Look, I think at the beginning, you know, we had to become licensed by the government. They hadn't really done that in a long time. I mean, we're the first one in 30 years probably. So, you know, we're coming in as a small upstart into an industry that's got very long established businesses that are well capitalized. And so for us to develop the confidence of the regulator and put in a competent application and you know, and do all the things we needed to do to to fulfill kind of all the regulatory requirements was was pretty tough work. Mm, I can um, imagine. Very. It was interesting. It was very fulfilling. And in that area, in that time, you know, we were we were just getting going, pulling together a new team, and we were using agile because it was it was great. Like we had one clear outcome, which was get our first revenue, and it was almost like a project to get that done. And and it's a lot of work. But it was, you know, quite fulfilling and pretty straightforward. Along the way, for me, I guess the mo- the biggest difficulties have always been related to growth. In a growth insurance business, you're always growing. You have to grow your prudential capital at the same time that you're growing your policies. You know, so you've got to have it's an insurance business. You have to have a balance sheet to cover claims. Mm. So, you know, early on, I think fundraising was was really really difficult. Because it's not your typical, you know, we're tech startup where you're going to build an app and, you know, give me a thousand bucks and I can sell it for a million. Mm. Um, you know, you're building a proper business with a balance sheet. So you've got to raise more capital. So capital raising was very hard early on. We've had to raise quite a bit. So we've had to raise about, we've raised 33 million in equity. Wow. Over two, three years, I guess. So that was pretty hard. And, you know, it's always the challenges of, not running the business, but running the business with such high levels of growth. That's probably the biggest challenge for us. And that, that's, you know, that can introduce quite difficult problems at times. I mean, as, you know, if we're raising more money or, you know, if we're a typical insurance company grows very slowly. And so their actuarial model, you know, they use to estimate claims out into the future. It's like you're driving down a road and you've got the high beams on and you can see for miles. You know, you just know there's nothing out there because their past is very much like their future. But when you're growing really fast, you know, and you've got a short history and the history is changing very quickly, you don't have that tremendous view out into the future. And it's almost like, you know, you're on not just the low beams, but the parking lights, you know. And so your view out into the future is somewhat obscured. And, you know, you're an insurance business, so you're kind of based you're basing yourself on your ability to see risk in the future. And, you know, for the most part, I think we've weathered that really well, but at various times, you know, you'll go, Ooh, you know, is this right? (laughs) You know, did we make the right decision? And we've done pretty well on that. And when we have made the wrong decision or, you know, when we have not seen the future as it, you know, as we thought it would be, you know, we've adapted really well and done the right thing by customers and, and investors to make it, you know, to make it work. And, you know, it's pretty quick responses, you know, harrowing nights of sleep. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's really growth related 
questions that keep me up at night. It, the actual business itself, if this was a run rate, you know, kind of normal health insurance business, I think it would be pretty straightforward to run because it's a, you know, they're very good businesses. People sign up, they stay with you for a long time. You know, if you do a good job, you don't lose people very quickly. Mm, that's so true. You know, yeah. So it's, I mean, they're fundamentally quite good businesses as much as I don't really want to be in a, in a, in a steady state business. I think I'm, I'm kind of jealous of people who are, because I think it'd be you know, <laughs> relatively straightforward compared to, you know, having to deal with growth issues all the time. Yeah. So you think that would be a really quality problem to have, right? Oh, it'd be great. <laughs> someday, someday we'll have the problems that Medibank has. It will be fantastic. <laughs> so I'm curious, what advice would you give? Because from what I'm hearing is, is you saw a massive opportunity with this industry and you saw that it could be disrupted and you saw that you could make a difference. And I'm curious, what advice would you give to early stage entrepreneurs and early stage startups that are looking for opportunities? Mm. How do you go about valuing, evaluating them? What advice would you give? You know, the fundamental question for me always comes back to the question I asked earlier, you know, hey, that's a great mousetrap. Can you sell a million of them? You know, because if you can't sell a million of them, you've got a curiosity, not a business. The, the two kind of general businesses that you see built through startups is one of them is we're going to do something better than the incumbents. And I would put us into that category. Health insurance exists. We're going to do it better than those guys. And along the way, we're going to take their customers and we'll probably learn and change the industry. But our core proposition is that we're focusing on a segment and doing it better than the other people. The other business is we're going to drop a bomb on the music industry and change the rules. After the bomb goes off, we'll be the most competitive player. You know, they're doing something that essentially destroys an industry so that the, the rules fit them. And I, I, I would call those people more the disruptors. You know, realestate.com.au, I think, good example, right, is a media business. It's not a real estate business, it's a media business. And what they did is they went in and they slaughtered newspapers. And they, they changed the landscape of how real estate was marketed and advertised. You know, after they blew up the market, they were the best thing there, you know, and, you know, Apple with music, right? You know, they, they blew up traditional recorded music distribution. And when the rules change, they're the best business out there. And other people have come along since then and have given it to them as well. But that was that, you know, so I think those are those two businesses. But regardless of whether you're doing it better than someone else, or you're going to destroy the existing industry and put something in its place, you've got to be able to say, can we actually sell a million of these? That to me, that's that's the difference between having a business and a and a curiosity. You know, not to say you shouldn't do it, but you should go into it with your eyes open. And and if you want to be a, a kind of a game changer business, you've got to actually look for how you're going to get bigger volume and and you know broader adoption. Yeah, wow, I I love that analogy. That that was great. I have a couple more questions, and we have to work towards wrapping things up, Andy. Um, uh -huh. One is. What do you think it takes to become a successful entrepreneur? Ultimately, it takes a successful business, I think. <laughs> you know, I mean, nobody looks for people who were really smart and uh, did good work, but you know, <laughs> the business didn't work. You know, I think at the end of the day, you know, you've built something that, if you've built something that was, you know, 
from scratch and you know you took a, a risk and you built something that was of that ultimately became successful and did something meaningful i think then that's kind of the you know that's the hallmark i think of an entrepreneur and if you've done it more than once in different areas that's even better i think you know like i i know quite a few people who have started really successful businesses sold them and then started another one just like it and and sometimes I, they sort of say well you know i just wanted to prove that it wasn't luck the first time <laughs> i think it's more than that i think it's actually what i find really amazing are people like you know elon musk right mm. let's start let's do paypal rocket ships electric cars you know high speed transportation <laughs> you know to me that's like an amazing level of entrepreneurialism right it's i'm going to just apply first principles to different industries you know i find that just absolutely amazing to me that's the hallmark of a true entrepreneur it's like first principles you know innovation in different industries and if you can make that stick and you can actually be successful with it that is that is incredible by the way i i i'm not i, I wouldn't rate myself on that scale <laughs> <laughs> oh no no what what you're doing is very impressive yeah but we have yet to see right i mean the the test is always you know did it work over time look i think it will we're working very hard to make that the case but history will write itself i suppose you know at this point i just feel good that you know we've got it off the ground it's running well customers are really happy as a work in progress it's going really well hmm yeah okay one last question are there any uh final words that you would like to share any any gold advice or words of wisdom that you'd like to finish off on something that you've learned that has been really valuable to you as an entrepreneur that you'd like to share or pass on and we'll wrap up there you know if if someone's in the in the in the state of considering the business that they might want to start there's a couple of attributes that you've got to really think about before you pour yourself into it because it is going to take three times as long as you think and it's going to be five times as hard it's going to cost you know 10 times as much as your powerpoint says it will so the question is why are you doing it you know if you're doing it because it's something that you love fantastic or if there's something in it that you love so for me did i have an ongoing passion for health insurance not really but I do have an incredible passion and interest in being healthy and so I'm like I'm very active in athletics and living a healthy life. So for me there's a connection there. But more than that, I'm really passionate about building a team and a business that I can be proud of. And that's the connection for me. So you know, it's not as strong as if I was, you know, if I just had a passion for health insurance. that would probably make it even better but you've got to have something that says you know what i love it and i'm going to stick with it and then the second thing i suppose is it's got to have a reasonable opportunity of success you know like is this market i'm going into big enough that i'm going to sink 5 years into it and then and then lastly do i have you know if i execute this plan what's my probability of actually taking enough of that market to make it worth it you know so it's sort of i guess you know and and that's where i think people get unhinged a bit because they start businesses for the sake of starting a business or you know simply because i love crochet i'm going to start crochet.com but you know you've got to actually have all three right so an abiding passion for what it is that you're doing 
to stick with it when it's going to be really hard, an interesting market that's big enough to matter, and a probability of, of actually having some meaningful success in that market. If you don't have all three of those, my advice is that you probably should keep looking and not start a business just for the sake of starting a business, but start a business because you're interested, it's in a good market, and you have a, have a reasonable hope of success. Oh, that, was, that was really insightful. Sorry, probably a bit wordy, but... <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> well, look, Full of profundity this morning. <laughs> it's not normal. <laughs> well, look, I've, I've really enjoyed our conversation, Andy. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.